Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Neat Part. This week, Nick and I are diving into the Lot B and the Old Whip Band Rico 10 year. Nick is going to dive into some details into the Pappy Lamb book he's also read. So sit back, grab your drinks, and we hope you enjoy the show. Hey, welcome back to the Neat Poor. Uh, Nick, Shalanda here. What's going on? I'm here. All right. So <laughs> here we are. We got a fun episode, man. Um, it's the Pappy Land episode, Shalanda. And just so we're clear to you, uh, Stag Jr. and Coke at the bar ordering fuckers, <laughs> okay? Uh, Pappy is n- not the 10, the 12, or the rye. It's the 15, the 20, and the 23. The ones with Pappy's face on it are the Pappy Van Winkles. So I, that's common to just call them all. Anything that says Van Winkle Pappy, that is not true. Okay. I just want to clear that up at, in the door. He, he, he dropping facts right now. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um, I think this episode is going to be a recap of uh, this Wright Thompson book. Uh, it's called A Story of Family, Fine Bourbon, and Things That Last. Mm-hmm. And it's um it's a book that, uh, that Wright... Right, wrote, and uh, he wrote it in conjunction with uh, Mr. Julian Van Winkle. Mm-hmm. So, for those keeping score at home, um, Julian's grandfather was uh, Julian Proctor Van Winkle Sr., also known as Pappy. Good old Pappy. <laughs> so, it's a story, you know, the thing about, uh, aside from Pappy Van Winkle being, you know, the most wanted bourbon in the world, you know, it's really about him chasing his family's legacy and trying to restore it to its former glory you know it's funny that you said it's the most wanted bourbon in the world i i bet you there's people out there that will give their firstborn for a bottle of pappy because it's just that serious for some people i mean not saying i would but i'm taking inquiries if anybody wants my firstborn (laughs) for a bottle (laughs) for a bottle of 23 you take my 15 year old (laughs) um I think to commemorate this very special occasion, well, it's hunting season, Shalanda. So, you know. Oh my God, it's always hunting season. It's always hunting it's season. It's always hunting season. It's always sun- hunting season here. Um, Black Friday is on the horizon. But then um, to to commemorate the Pappy Land book and the fact that the the BTAC and the, all the Pappies are coming out, um, we're drinking the Van Hatton, which is a recipe from the book. Not do, to be confused with the Manhattan. If you call this the Manhattan, Nick is going to get pissed. Um, so it talks about, um, and we're going to get into the book in a minute, but the cocktail has, well, first of all, it's in these fine glasses that Shalana hey. picked out today. Um, vintage, uh, gilded chandelier, fucking rice glasses. They are from the 1920s. They, they, they are worth the price of admission. These glasses is quite nice. Um, uh, Carpano Antica Vermouth, uh, blood orange bitters, um, one half. Well, it calls for one half 15. Pappy 15. We didn't have that. We ain't got that. <laughs> so we substituted that with uh, the old Rear Van Winkle. And then it calls for a half bourbon. So I'm very excited that we were able to score um, the Van Winkle family reserved a 13-year rye. So we're, we're as close as you can get. Now, please know, normally we do not mix good whiskeys and good bourbons. We prefer to drink them neat. But 
because Van Winkle did it, we did it too. Yeah, I mean, uh, Julian will be the first one to tell you, you know, better the whiskey, the better the cocktail. So the, I don't know about that though. So this is this is a note to him, and I think he's referring specifically to his whiskeys, which is why this cocktail calls for his whiskeys. Because I'm saying, because I, I I've done some cocktails with some really good whiskeys, and the cocktails turn out to be okay. They were better drink needs, and then I've done some cocktails with some horrible whiskeys, and they turned out great. But I wouldn't dare drink those whiskeys by themselves yeah i think yeah to be fair i've had um a recent encounter with some good whiskey that i put in the cocktail and the whiskey um the whiskey was better on its own i don't know if this is a this this is probably as good as the sum of its parts i wouldn't say the whiskeys are the whiskeys are probably a tad better but this cocktail holds its own compared compared to what i've done in the past yeah all right so, um, so Pappy Land, man. I wanted to talk about Pappy Land a little bit. Talk about Pappy Land because I didn't read the book. So, okay. I'm gonna, you were steering this ship, and yes, I've been drinking. I was super excited. I think the last, you know, it's a page turner. The last book I got this excited about might have been um, the Jim Beam story with, uh, with Fred No. And they talked about how this was right after they sold and how they viewed themselves as a 200-year-old startup because they had just sold their company, uh, you know, for a few billion dollars to the Japanese. So, they wrote a book. Right. And I learned about, you know, some cool some cool Jim Beam stuff that I didn't know, specifically about Fred Noah and how he used to be a roadie for fucking uh, Hank Williams Jr. That was pretty cool. Mm. Um, but let's dive into Pappy Land. Right. Um, so a couple things about Pappy or Julian, Julian Van Winkle, the third. Right. Um, Julian's got triplets. I don't know if you knew that. He's got. He's got uh, he's got three girls. And then the three girls actually run Pappy Co. So Pappy Co. is the dry goods side. So they're selling everything from, you know, uh, wooden wedding rings, um, you know, uh, syrup aged in Pappy barrels. All this kind of cool shit. Right? Can I get you a wooden wedding wing? Wedding, wedding. A wedding wing? Can you give me a wooden wedding wing? I mean, sure, you can give me a wooden wedding wing. You know what I mean. That works for me. Um, Pappy uh, debuted in 1994. Uh, the 20-year debuted in 1994. Um the old Rip Van Winkle, the logo on the 10-year, uh, actually goes back to pre-Prohibition. So apparently, um, when Stutzer Weller, uh, when they sold in 1972, they actually had plans on using that specific label for a brand under uh, uh, Stutzer Weller. So I actually didn't know that at all. Right? Um, that was that was pretty interesting. Um, what else? Oh, so the, mis- the I think the mystery of Pappy is that, you know, um, their partnership with Buffalo Trace started in 2002, right? But from the, dis- the original distillery closing, um, where Pappy worked at Willard Stills, so that place closed in 72. Um, Julian Rip Van Winkle Sr., uh, he died shortly after that. Mm-hmm. And then... Uh, Pappy or Julian was kind of stuck on his own trying to figure out what to do. You know, they had just sold their distillery. He went on he went on a 15 year period where he was actually sourcing whiskey and, and bottling it himself at a facility that he bought until the Buffalo Trace partnership. So from when the distillery closed in 72 until they picked it up until he partnered with Buffalo Trace in 2002, a lot of his whiskey when he got started uh, came from different different sources. You know, a lot of it came from Cecil Weller, but some of it came from uh, Old Boone. Some of it came from Glenmore. 
In fact, the uh, the notorious um, the notorious uh, Chicago Beverage Tasting Institute in 1996, where they gave it a 99 rating for the 20 year. A lot of people think that was Stitzel Weller juice. That was actually Old Boone juice. That Old Boone juice. Old Boone was a distillery that he was sourcing from. So at the time, uh, Wild Turkey was making way too much. They were making way too many sales, so they started sourcing from Old Boone. So fucking Jimmy Russell hooked Julian up with Old Boone, and he started sourcing from there too. Like this is how you know these things all got started. A lot of people don't know that the um, the twenty and the twenty three year are not Buffalo Trace juice at all. They're still old stocks from you know presumably Stillwater. So this was all kind of news to me. I didn't know any of this, you know, but. We talk about in the past, we talked about these old distilleries and how, you know, they take old stocks and then they rebrand them or they blend them. Right. That's kind of tradition that's gone on back as far as they've been making whiskey, I think. So that was pretty cool. Um, Shalanda's guy, Prince, showed up in this book twice. <laughs> uh, I think there's a scene where the writer and Julian are at some party. And as the party's ending, the band is there and some music is playing. So the band and the and Julian and the triplets and the writer all just start singing Purple Rain as loud as they can. Purple Rain, <laughs> Purple Rain. And then you fast forward to Julian's uh, summer home. And then um, while he's making these cocktails, the Van Hatton for the writer, you know, he turns Purple Rain on the speaker at that point, too. Probably the whole album at that point. You know, Purple Rain has... <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I play Purple Rain, you know, as I'm baking cookies. It's something that Prince channels our spirits. So, I understand. I dig it. Yeah. That was uh, that was really cool. So, uh, some, some pretty fun facts in that book. Um, I was a huge fan of it. So, I just wanted to mention some of those things, Shalanda. And I'm sure we'll get to a few more facts as this episode goes on. How's your Van, Van Hatton holding up? My Van Hatton is amazing. And no, I didn't make the cocktail this week. Nick did. He did an amazing job. Oh, you're very sweet today. That's, I know. That's very nice of you. It could be I'm um, kind of liquored up, but hey. Um, the uh, the the uh, Julian, the Pappy story, the Pappy Van Winkle story starts when he opened that distillery. I want to say on Derby Day back in like 1935. So this book starts with uh, the with Wright Thompson, you know, senior writer for ESPN, meeting Julian Van Winkle. At the Derby, he met him at Churchill Downs. So he describes Julian as having this um, this this peach-colored uh, barrel bow tie, and then Julian walks around with a flask of Weller Twelve on him. Wait, so he walks around. <laughs> wait a minute, hold on. So he walks around with his flask of yeah. what is it? A Weller Twelve. Of Weller Twelve. So he just just turn it. He got the tea up. How cool is that? I mean, can you imagine that? You know, you're going out to hang out with Julian Van Winkle. And he's like, yeah, this is this is baby pappy, you know. And he's turning up out of his flask. Out of his flask. Yeah, he's giving, you know, he's giving people a rip off his flask, you know, Damn. watching the horses. You know, just that's the life. That sounds like an old dude I would love to <laughs> kick you with. <laughs> yeah, I think the phrase, you know, um, lifelong uh, spring break was used in that book. And that kind of describes what he's going through, right? You know, because he, uh, you know, he took out all this money to, you know, rent this truck and, you know, buy, get loans to buy back, you know, old whiskey from his grandfather's distillery, right? Blend it, bottle it on this old ass bottling line, 
And it wasn't a trendy thing back then. You know, 20-year-old whiskey wasn't very trendy at all. So it took time for it to catch on. And then when it caught, boy, did it catch. So, yeah, it was just pretty fun stuff. Um, one of my favorite uh, moments from the book we talked about, uh, we'll talk about this Kentucky rye in a second because that's what we had earlier today, the uh, the, Riv, the Riv Van Winkle family rye. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite moments from the book was in the summer home when uh, – Julian offers everyone some wine that had been aged in Pappy Van Winkle barrels, like a finished wine. It was a Spanish Meritage wine. So um, it was from the Segarra River, right? And uh, it's a part of Spain that was settled by some mountains. Um, but this part of Spain was uh, settled by the Moors. And they, wow. they made a point to, 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 to call that out in the book. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, so he's got a buddy at the Grateful Palate that uh, ages that that finishes his wines and uh and pappy barrels so that's it man oh i gotta slow down so we can tell you didn't most. read the book yet yeah. but um yeah and i'm not i'm not done with it but so many so many fun facts um so you can't make the van hatton without the van winkle family reserve rye shalanda seriously I mean, you can't make the Van Hatton. It calls for the rye. So. I mean, it also called for some other stuff that we didn't have, but you well, made it work. It called for the 15. I think the 15 years of 107 blend, right? 107 yeah. proof. And then so is uh, so is the 10 year. So, well, shit, for that, so is Antique 107 for that case. But we did, we did what we could. Yeah, I mean, you were just, you just had to have it. So, good job by you. Yeah, I was excited. Oh, but the Van Winkle uh, Family Reserve, the rumor is that. It's actually the same juice as uh, as Sazerac 18 from the Buffalo Trace collection. Mm. That's the uh, that's the word on the street. You know they're very hush hush about their mash bills. They're not gonna you know tell their secrets. But um, that's my understanding of it. Um, according to some folks at Whiskey Advocate, uh, back when that that Van Winkle uh, Family Reserve made its debut, mm-hmm. it was 50% uh, Charles Medley rye. And fifty percent King of Kentucky rye, and it was it was a thirteen year age statement, but it was actually a nineteen year product that kind of sat in some steel tanks when it made its debut, and people thought it was amazing. So, because when you look out when you look out on the um, on the socials for uh, any information about Van Winkle Reserve rye, not a whole lot comes up. So, I thought that was interesting, uh, but this one is made solely by Buffalo Trace. Now. I'm just telling you how it began, how the how the rye Van Winkle rye began. So, let me give you a new title, historian of bourbon. No, I mean, this book was really cool. I think, um, so Julian, you know, worked at his uh, well, he worked for his dad at this at this distillery, and then you know he got drenched because there was a barrel malfunction once. He got drenched in this spirit, right? He got drenched in it. And he, he's always been chasing that sensation of what that tasted like. So then the distillery closes because it got sold. And then he's spent much of his adult life trying to recreate these flavors of his youth. Right. So and it's directly related to his family. His grandfather's on the bottle. Right. He, he spent all his money um, trying to make sure that those whiskeys that he thought were super special didn't die. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's every 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 bit about family history. As anything else, that's a that's a, the as big a component as anything else, you know the hype, the rarity, the you know the ratings, 
all that is definitely part of it. You know, I think um, the way it's been described as like they don't really have a built in culture for Van Winkle. Mm -hmm. It's more like, you know, seeing the northern seeing the northern lights. okay it was more of an experience than it is like a a cult following right so it was like he was baptized into this that's the way i see it oh shit the spirits literally touched 18 i think like 1893 or something is when pappy got involved yeah yeah so um it was good i think um this is my final takeaway because i just want to you know just breathe a little bit um Julian's dad was a was a war was a war veteran, right? Mm-hmm. In fact, he was a tank captain, and that's not something you can turn off. You come home from the war, you know, just stop being a tank captain, especially if you come back and you're running your dad's distillery. But um, yeah, he got shot in the war. He got shot like in his leg or whatever. So then he got discharged after he got shot, and he felt bad about that. Survivor's remorse. Mm-hmm. But then the guy that replaced him as captain died in war like nine days later. Oh wow! Yeah. So and it talks about how, um, you know, his dad developed cancer. Like it's a very personal story. Mm-hmm. Julian Van Winkle the third, you know, his dad, you know, uh, Julian Junior, mm-hmm. you know, died of cancer, and it was it wasn't too much at too much longer than after they sold, mm-hmm. you know. So Pappy dies, then Julian sells the distillery, you know, and then they don't get cash for the sale; they got stock. Right. I think it was like Norton Simon stock and Norton mm-hmm. Simon was a crew that sold soda. They distributed, uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Johnny Walker, shit like that. Mm-hmm. So they got stock <laughs> instead of cash. And then, you know, some of the secretaries that stayed on, they tried to like sell some of the family heirlooms and shit and not tell them. So then they got a call and they had to bid on their own decanters. Oh, wow. They had to bid on some of their family heirlooms so that the stuff wouldn't die. Right. Um, and they were all kind of salty about the sale. So this was kind of like, this has been a mission of theirs to kind of keep this tradition alive, keep their family name alive, which is, that's not something I think about when I think about hunting down a Van Winkle whiskey, but the book does a good job of highlighting like that's exactly what, when Julian curates these whiskeys, because it's the same recipe as Weller, but the only difference is Julian's he's curating which barrels He's curing the experience through the barrels he selects from that from that juice. I mean, I don't think anybody's thinking about the story of the the history of, of the whiskey when they're going to get it. Yeah. I mean, kind of stumble upon it afterwards as they're sitting down and enjoying it. And it's like as you're enjoying it, it makes you appreciate it that much more. Yeah. So. So I think that's what that's what I was left taking away with it. Right. Because like, you know, bourbon, the bourbon is the vehicle. Right. Bourbon's not the. Driving out? Bourbon's <laughs> <laughs> Bourbon is part of the experience, you know? Bourbon, the, the experience is the conversation, right? The time you spend, the hunt, right? Bourbon is in the middle of all of that. But just acquiring the bourbon to say you have it is not the experience, right? Bourbon is just part of a bigger experience. And I was reminded of that when I was reading this book. So It's like people who hunt it down. And just want to get the bottle to look at it. I don't understand those people, but hey. Yeah, because it's not a commodity. I mean, you know, it is. Shit. I mean, these prices. So, I mean, we got the list. But I think on the high end, uh, 23 years, what, $199? 
I mean, on a on a high end. Yeah, like the twenty three year is uh, retails for one hundred ninety nine dollars. Right, but I'm talking. I'm, I'm talking oh. just MSRP. But these are moderately priced whiskeys. Is my point. Right. I think the Rip Ten is a sixty nine dollar product. Right. You know, and you know, and you work your way up from sixty nine on one end to, you know, two hundred on the other end. Right. They understand that. Hey, they don't want to be sitting on a, a fucking lake of whiskey by charging these bogus ass prices. And then if there's a, some sort of collapse in the, in the whiskey industry, now they got all this whiskey. So they understand. Listen, if you want fucking uh, if you want lot B, lot B is a hundred hundred bucks. Right. That's the that's what the Van Winkles are pricing it at. And everything else outside of that is what these asshole distributors and retailers are selling. And then, of course, the secondary. They're like $5,000 for one goddamn bottle. Dude, I've seen this fucking Van Winkle Family Reserve, a 95 proof, 13 year whiskey. It's delicious for $1,800 at a retail shop. Fuck that. I'm just like, it's ridiculous. Part of me, I get it. Like, and we talked about this earlier in the day. It's like um, the idea of allocated whiskey kind of means that if, if me and you own the bottle shop, Hey, you know, we have to buy X number of cases of, you know, whatever else they're selling. And if it's Sazerac's case, I'm guessing you probably got to buy a little bit of uh, 1792. You might have to buy a little bit of, uh, you know, some other shit, Wheatley's or Fireball or whatever. But you have to buy other things. And then based on that, you this is how you get the cool stuff. So now what if what if we got all those things at our shop and they didn't sell? What if I got 20 cases of Fireball and I couldn't sell but one? Tax write-off. Tax write-off. <laughs> yeah. I think some people are writing tax write-off. And then some some people, and I'm not making excuses for them because it's still shame on them. Some people who own stores are saying, I got all this other shit I was forced to buy, so I'm just going to charge two grand because secondary is dictating more than that. So I'm going to charge two grand for a bottle of this shit. And that sucks a lot of the fun out of it. It does. Yeah. But in, I think in, in, in a Julian Van Winkle perfect world, you know, everybody would have Rip 10 in their decanter on their bar, right? I think if you speak just to the family, that's what they would want. And a lot of this shit is just out of hand. Well, I hope their family is listening because we can definitely use more in our bar. Yeah. So. Well, thank you so much, Nick, for that history lesson. I mean, thank you for reading the book. I didn't get that far. That's fun. How are we doing on time? Well, you know, we, we rocking and rolling. I mean, if there's anything else you want to include or you want to add? Um, shout out to uh, Garrett Oliver and uh, the good folks at Four Roses. Uh, they've got a um, Four Roses branded and barrel aged uh, Black Ops coming out mm-hmm. at the end of November. Okay. I'm excited about that. He said it's all bottle condition, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's out for a year in Four Roses small batch barrels. Yeah. So yeah. that was cool. And if you need some time to kill, there's a 40-minute IG Live with uh, mm-hmm. the brewmaster of uh, Brooklyn Brewing and the master distiller at Four Roses. And it's a treat. So that's all I did this week, Shalonda. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's been a slow week, but I don't know. I mean, the, the hunt of chasing down the uh, Lot B and the old, and uh, Van Winkle has been exciting. That's like the... The most excitement we've had in a minute as far as bourbon goes. Yeah. I think um, we posed with Lot B for the photos in the uh, with all the ingredients. But 
I think um, 107 makes for a better play in the cocktail. And if you don't have 107, quite frankly, I think you can use Weller, Weller Antique. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, one more thing about Pappy, Julian Van Winkle. When he started his distillery, it was after Prohibition. So he was facing, he was going head up against some mobsters at, at some point. Because mobsters had infiltrated the whiskey business because they were still slanging whiskey all during Prohibition. But then also, I think what gets overlooked is like the whole idea of a weeded bourbon is like, um, you know, the weeded bourbon is removing the rye from the recipe. Right. So when whiskey came from the East Coast and migrated to Kentucky, you know, it was primarily rye whiskey when it first started. And in fact, the first folks that started distilling in Kentucky um, were, start, were distilling brandy. Right. Because they were, um, I think, the uh, the water in uh upstate New York and the water in uh, parts of France and the water in Kentucky is that same limestone water, right? So um, Alexander Hamilton and George Washington and them boys, they raised taxes on people who distill products. And then all those distillers said, fuck you, we're heading out of here. So um, these laws on whiskey happened in 1791 where they wanted to tax all these whiskey makers. Kentucky became a state in 1792. So they were all running from the tax man. Right. So they get to they get to fucking Kentucky and rye doesn't really grow down there. Rye grows in Minnesota. Rye grows in Canada. Right. So this idea of a bourbon with wheat as the, as the focus versus rye is really uh, Pappy Van Winkle's way of saying of establishing himself as a monument in Kentucky and making a true Kentucky product in a way that it hadn't before. Right. And I think uh, that gets lost too. other people were making uh, wheat whiskeys before but not in mass production and not focusing on that. In fact, he helped Maker's Mark make their, uh, craft their craft their yeast strain and their recipe. So that's it, man. All right. Well, you know, you guys can, I guess that's about it with the history lesson, right, Nick? Yeah, man. So, you know, you guys can catch us on the Neepore and all the social medias and also catch new episodes up on the Neepore website, also on uh, Apple Podcasts. So until next time, we'll catch you guys on the flip side. Peace.